Um, so we're going to have Danny come up. Most of you guys probably know Danny because he used to come to our church here for many years. Um, then he moved to Lodi, California. So Danny came, once I said earlier, from Lodi this morning, got on the road at 6.45 a.m. to be here. I personally have read, and I think it's amazing, and I think this song, Open Our Eyes, Lord, We Want to See Jesus, I ask that hopefully Lord would open our eyes to his message, and ultimately, I'm going to let Danny take it away. Thank you, brother. Greetings from Lodi. <laughs> uh, does anybody know where Lodi is? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's in the San Joaquin Valley. It's uh, about... 10 minutes uh, above Stockton, California. So right above Stockton and in that area. Um, so let me just say, before I even start, what a blessing it is to be here at Grace Bible Church. This is a wonderful thing that uh, you guys have. You guys are really blessed to, be, to have a, a men's uh, group that meets together, shares the word, you guys meet during mid, uh, the middle of the week, too. There's a men's Thursday night monthly Bible study. That's, that's great. You know, you don't know how hard it is to, to, to go church hunting. And it, it took me a year and a half after moving to Lodi to find a, a solid church, a good church with doctrine. So just want to tell you, you know, we take so many things for granted. Don't take this for granted. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a really and it's really a blessing to be back with you. Um, I'm, uh, it's a privilege for me to come and share the word of God with you. Um, me and Mario talked about this a few months back, and I ah, well, that's an early get up, right? Ah, I don't want to sacrifice, sacrifice. <laughs> What's that? Well, sacrifice. <laughs> I haven't sacrificed in a long time. <laughs> you know, when you, when you go to church and they don't know you, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Okay, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Danny Vasquez. I attended here for 20 years. And I remember the first time I came, Ken was preaching. And then he came and said, hey, hey, come back, come back. Our pastor will be back next week, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm the elder, but the, the pastor will be here next week. So we came back, and the next thing I know, Steve's preaching on an election. <laughs> and I was like, wow, what's this? Okay. So <clears throat> I'll give you my testimony. I was raised Catholic. You know what that means, confession, holy water. When you go in, you know, a 45-minute mass, 45 minutes. Okay, I attended Solano Community College in Fairfield, and that's where I became acquainted with a Christian group known as, also known as the Navigators. And every time I saw them, I would run and hide because they always wanted to talk to me about Jesus. I used to run to the bathroom and hide in the stall to, to hide. I, I wore off two pairs of tennis shoes running away from them. I also met Eva at Solano Community College, and we started dating. And back then, I was 20 years old. I made lots of money, $10 an hour, and I drove a brand-new Z28 1978 Camaro with a red leather seats. Woo, baby. I was looking good. I had, no, never mind. Uh, <laughs> everybody used to call me Disco Dan. Because I used to dance, drink, and party. But even though I looked cool, I was empty. And I felt something was missing. And then my girlfriend, Eva, became a Christian. She totally changed, and she broke up with me. I mean, that was a shock. You broke up with me. She shared with me how Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. Basically, she dumped me for Jesus. I was like, wow. So she invited me to go to a Christian church, and, and I went to make her happy. Not much has changed since then. <laughs> so I went, and the service was three hours long. Three hours long. 
And at the end of the service, the pastor preached that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And at, at the end of the service, he gave an invitation for people to come forward and to uh, sub- submit their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I sat there and I hardened my heart because I didn't want any part of it. I just, no. People were going down. I said, no, I'm not going down. I'm sitting here. And I, I, I rebelled. I hardened my heart. And then Eva asked me to come back. And I said, oh, I'm, I'll come back, but in a month. I, that service was three hours long. I'm good for the month. <laughs> so then a month later, she called me up and said, hey, would you come to church on Sunday? I said, sure. So I went back. I returned. But this time... I was convicted of my sinful, wicked life. And I went forward, and I prayed for God to forgive me for all of my sins. And I knew God had forgiven me for all of my sins. The power of sin had been broken in my life. I turned my life away from sin, and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was born again. And I came home, and I told my mom, I told all my sisters about this wonderful conversion that had happened in my life, and they were, like, shocked. I loved Jesus. I loved the Bible. I loved the church. And I now had a relationship with Jesus, and I was no longer empty. I had, I had been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I was no longer Disco Dan. But now I was Disciple Dan. I was no longer empty. But now I had this true joy. And I shared Jesus with everyone I met. I got married to Eva. And we had three beautiful girls. Next week, I will be celebrating my 42nd anniversary. And that's all by the, gr- that's all by the grace of God. I'm telling you. I, I, it's, that's not me. That's God. God has just done so many things because I know myself. That's God. I went to Simpson Bible College and I graduated in 1988. And I've been a Christian now for 44 years. And I've learned something. God doesn't call us to be successful. God calls us to be faithful, to love God and to serve Jesus Christ with all our heart. Many times people go to church on Sunday, they hear a message, and at the end of the service, the pastor invites them to say a prayer or to put their faith in Jesus. And some people, they get baptized and join the church. Some people, they make a decision for Jesus or a profession of faith, but it's not genuine saving faith. It's, it's an emotional uh, response that, that, that produces a superficial or a counterfeit profession of faith it's it's not real and i believe with all my heart that there are a lot of christian parents that have children that have been raised in the church but some of them are not truly converted some of them are not truly converted not everyone who claims to be a christian is a christian Dr. Vance Habner says that many church members have been starched in iron, but they have never been washed. <laughs> they have never been truly converted and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And until one's life is turned from sin and turned to God, nothing else matters. Let's turn to, well, you guys can turn to Mark. I'm going to read you Matthew 18:1, which says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are converted, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Please open your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 4 as we look at counterfeit professions versus true conversions. Mark chapter 4. And you might want to also put something in, in Matthew 13 because we're going to be turning to that just a a little bit. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. 
Now, I'm going to call on certain people during the service, so don't, don't, don't jump or anything. Don't run out. <laughs> okay? This is called the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I just pray, God, you help me, Lord. Help me to share your word. We thank you that we can be here this morning. My prayer is simple, Lord. Open our eyes so that we can see. And open our ears so that we can hear. We pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us. Come and lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. So this is the parable of the sower and the seed. And what this parable is about is about four different types of soil, each producing a different response. Who is the sower? Who is the sower? The God... We, yes, the sower is anybody who preaches the word of God. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God, correct. And the soil is represented by the human heart. According to Matthew 13, 19, if you were to look at it, it says, and Satan came and stole the seed or the word that was planted in his heart. So the soil is the heart. This parable is, exposes the condition of our heart. It shares and it kind of tells us what our heart is like. Now look at verse 2. Mark 4, 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. In verse 2, he's teaching in parables. Jesus taught in parables in order to conceal his teachings from his enemies. Revelation was concealed in the imagery Wow, this is good stuff. The word parable comes from the Greek word parabole. Para, which means to come alongside of or beside. Bole, which means to throw or to cast alongside of. We, we get the word paramedic, works alongside a doctor. We get the word paralegal, works alongside a lawyer. So it's somebody that comes alongside. So the parables function as a brief comparison or narrative, and it usually comes in the form of an earthly story. They usually have one central point, one central point or idea. And most of Jesus' parables are clear, but there's something you got to catch. They also contain a depth of meaning that only one with a right relationship to Jesus can comprehend. In other words, only a Christian can comprehend and it is only to the disciples that Jesus gives the interpretations of the parable of the sower. Jesus teaches with parables for, for, so that, and look at verse 10. And when he was alone, around those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that or you could even say, for the specific purpose that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's deep right there. The parables are designed to reveal and conceal. That is the purpose of the parable. Jerry, 
What is the purpose of the parable? Ken, what is the purpose of the parable? Correct. Good. You guys are listening. <laughs> I see Dave smiling. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember Danny now. <laughs> so the parables are the work of grace to the believer to reveal the truth of the parable. They are the work of judgment to the unbeliever to conceal the truth of the parable. You get it? Two different things. They are the work of judgment to the unbeliever to conceal the truth. It was judgment on unbelief. The unbelievers missed the whole meaning of the parable. They, they don't get it because of their lack of a proper relationship with Jesus. There is, no, there is no revelation to the unbeliever. There is no revelation because they rejected the way, the truth, and the life. After hearing the, belie- the parables, the unbelievers walked around saying, what, is that? what does that mean? What? I-, I don't get it. What does that mean? <laughs> it-, it went over their head. The parables are designed to prevent the outsiders from seeing the truth and repenting. The parables are for those who already believe in Jesus Christ, those with ears to hear and eyes to see. So that's why in verse 3, look at verse 3. It says, listen. Stop right there. Jesus begins this parable with a very strong word. In the Greek, it is the word akuete. Can you say that? Akuete. It is a strong command, an exhortation, an imperative in the English, which means listen, pay attention, take heed. It's a strong command. In English, you don't see that. But in the Greek, it's a strong command. Listen. And it refers back to what in, in Deuteronomy 6.4 that some of you know that's called the Shema. It's, it says, hear, O Israel. Or you could even say, listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. It goes all the way back to that. Hearing is key in this, in this chapter. This word is used Ten times in Mark chapter 4. Listen. Acuete. Ten times. And it reminds me of uh, Hebrews 2.3, which says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You neglect salvation by not listening, not hearing, and refusing to believe. To show you how important this word is, it's used again in uh, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's, that's important. So again, the first point, the purpose of the parable. What is the purpose of the parable? Good, some of you are listening. I like that. Yes. Okay, now, two, the particular types of soil. Okay, there's four types of soil. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Oh, I read one too many. Yeah. So verse 15 and these are the ones along the path, and when they, the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word away, the word that was sown in their heart. The first seed was sown along the path, or sometimes called the wayside. And back in those days, the custom was that the farmer would take a big sack of, of seed and put it on the back of his donkey, and then he would go out to the field. And then in the field, he'd take a couple of cups and put it in a smaller sack underneath his his uh, arm, and as he's sowing the seed, he would spread it like this, you know. I'm working in the field, I'm working in the field. Hi, ho to Mary, I'm working in the field. And that's called broadcasting, okay? You're broadcasting the seed. That was the custom back then. And then after that, 
the seed would fall wherever it landed. And generally, one of his family then would, or a servant would come behind them and then plow the ground so that the dirt would cover it. The sowing preceded the plowing back then. Nowadays, the, first you plow and then you, th you put the seed. But in, in ancient in Israel, this is, was done the other way. And in this parable, it lands on, on hard ground. When the path or the ground gets trampled or stepped on, the ground gets hard, right? Right? If you don't walk on it, it's very soft. But if you walk on the ground, you start seeing a path. And that's what was going on here. The seed couldn't penetrate the ground because it was hard. And the birds came and ate it, according to the Bible. Jesus explains that the birds represent Satan. Remember what I said, that the soil represents our hearts? Jesus is saying that the, the seed never gets into the heart. It stays on top. Why? Because the heart is hard and calloused. Many people hear the word of God, but they are hard-hearted and calloused, and the word of God doesn't impact them. You could be sitting right next to them in church or even at the men's uh, breakfast. They hear the same exact message and not be affected. Why? Because of their hard heart. The first soil is the calloused heart. Verse 16, the rocky ground soil. Verse 16 says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The second seed was sown on stony ground, rocky ground. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll know much of Israel, the ground is limestone or, or with a lot of rocks. And the seed would land on the stony ground, but because it had no depth, it, the roots couldn't grow deep. And then when the sun comes up, it, the, the plant would wither and die. We all know people like this. Somebody comes to church, they, they hear the message, they, they, they pray, they, I want to accept Christ, I'm going to pray, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. And then... They get all excited for Jesus, and then and they're 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 just yeah I'm I'm here. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? I wanna I wanna uh, hear the word. I wanna be in church, and that's they're great. They're on fire for three months, and then after a while they're gone. Where are they? What happened? What happened to them? There was no genuine conversion. It really didn't. There was no root. It didn't take root. Because they have no depth. There was no genuine conversion. And as soon as tribulation or persecution comes, the Bible says, they fall away. There are many people like this. In the beginning, they're all excited, but they have a cursory heart. The definition of cursory is hasty, hurried, careless, quick, sudden, reckless, superficially performed, or shallow. That's cursory. They don't continue in the faith. They come on strong, but they don't last. The second heart, or the second soil, is the cursory. So first, we have the calloused heart. The second is the cursory heart. And thirdly, verse 18, the thorny ground. Verse 18. The others are the, the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The third seed fell on thorny ground. And Jesus states they hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the uh, desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The covetous heart is strangled. It's choked by the covetous heart. The, the seed is choked. Their faith is strangled by the covetous heart, which is the lust for riches, possessions, and worldly things. Remember the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? He came up to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Sell all you have and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The third soil 
is the covetous heart. So first, we have the calloused heart. We have the cursory heart. And the third seed here is the covetous heart. Do you see what is happening? Do you see what is happening? Listen, acuete. Not everyone responds to the word of God. You might profess Christ, but that doesn't mean you possess Christ. R.C. Sproul said he must possess the faith in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith. And in Matthew 7.21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your names? And then I would declare to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Only one of the four types of the soil brings a fruitful harvest. Look at verse 20. The good soil. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. You see, the seed of the word of God takes root. And when the seed of the word of God takes root, there's a difference. The sower doesn't change. The seed doesn't change. What changes is the heart, the where the seed is sown. So That's the only thing that changes is the heart where the seed lands. The fourth soul is the converted heart. The converted heart bears fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. What kind of fruit? The fruit of giving, the fruit of godly living, the fruit of the lips, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of the Spirit. Interiorly, interior and exterior. Not not just, you know, well, yeah, internal and exterior, external. This is the result of true, genuine conversion. The proof is in the fruit it produces. The proof is in the fruit it produces. So I have a question, a theological question. Does the parable of the sower teach that it is possible for a person to be genuinely born again and then fall away and be lost because of the world's scorching persecution or the material entanglement? Steve, what do you say? No. Dave, what do you say? No. No. Correct. (laughs) No. I know the image of the young plants might appear to suggest this, but we have to take what Jesus said as the explanation. And we will see that Jesus makes a critical distinction between a person who hears only and a person who hears and understands. Remember I told you to uh, keep your finger in uh, Matthew 13? Turn to Matthew 13, and in verse 19, it says, uh, Kai, can you read that for me? 19. Correct. Yes. So it has, there is a difference. Here's the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Okay. Dave, can you read verse 23? As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. So the one who merely hears may receive the word with joy, but he doesn't actually understand it and only seems to be saved. Okay, but it also said something about having root. Frank, can you read verse 21? Okay, so he doesn't have any root, and which that proves because he only lasts a short time. So those who understand and therefore have genuine uh, 
life-giving root in them, show it by their endurance and their fruit. Remember I said you can tell by their fruit? That's how you can tell. Those who last and, and endure and bear fruit. So what is the point Jesus is making? The point Jesus is making is that not everyone will respond to the word of God. Not everyone's going to follow Christ and be saved. Not everyone who hears the preaching will be saved. Only some will be converted and saved. So according to this, only about 25% of the people that hear it. So first we have the purpose of the parable. Secondly, we have the particular types of soil. And thirdly, the predestination of God. I want to ask you a question. What makes the soil good? Why does one person receive the word of God and understand it while another person rejects it? Some people think that they're Christians because when they went to the service, they heard the preaching and they raised their hand or they said the sinner's prayer or they went forward or, or they made a decision to follow Christ. They decided to become a Christian. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. The good soil is good because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit on that person's soul. It's the work of the Holy Spirit on the soul of that person. The only people who are truly converted are those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And thereby we are able to receive the word and be converted. These are the elect. Um, let's turn to John 6.44. Kai, can you read John 6.44? And then I'm going to need someone to read 6.65, verse 65, so if someone can get ready after, after Kai. John 6.44. No one can come to me. What does that mean? It means exactly no one, no one, no one can come to me. This phrase, no one can come to me, is called a universal negative proposition. It means no mankind can come to Christ because they don't have the power or the ability unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, if you could read verse 65. Hmm. Okay. And Ephesians 2.1 says, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. So what can a dead man do? Can? What can a dead man do? Nothing. Jerry, what can a dead man do? Mario, what can a dead man do? Israel, what can a dead man do? Nothing. A dead man has no capacity whatsoever to respond. He can't. He can't. In order for us to become spiritually alive, God has to do a miracle. And what is that miracle, Mario? Regeneration. Amen, brother. Thank God. That's the power of the sower. God prepares the soul to receive the seed of his word. For this reason, we say salvation is of the Lord. Jonah 2.9. Amen. All the glory belongs to God. We have nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Just like when you were born. You have nothing to do with it. The only people who are converted are those who first have been drawn by the Father and changed by the Holy Spirit. Making them able to receive the word of God. In short, regeneration comes before faith. The Holy Spirit has to change a person's heart before he will ever be able to say yes to Jesus. And that's from the commentary on Mark by R.C. Sproul, page 70. Can someone read Romans 9.16? Mike, are you there? Almost? Okay, Romans 9.16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. Yes. Salvation doesn't depend on human free will. 
If it did, nobody would ever be saved. Everyone who is chosen, elect, and saved will receive God's mercy, according to Romans 9.16. Um, can someone read Ephesians 1, 4 through 6? Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Raise your hand if you got it. You're there. Go ahead, Steve. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Yes, thank you. So do you see, God chose us. We didn't choose him. <laughs> the reason you are a Christian today is because God sovereignly called you to himself according to his purpose. And that's in Romans 8, 28. So election is the choice of God the Father. Salvation, or the atonement, is the sacrifice of God the Son. And the grace that draws us and enables us to persevere to the very end is the work of the Holy Spirit. Thus, salvation is all God's work from beginning to end. And it's the coordinated work of the triune God. That's unity. That's unity. Nobody but God could have ever invented of a way like this to save mankind. The work of effectively calling people to Christ is God's work, even though he uses human beings to do it and work through them. So what is conversion? What is conversion? Conversion is turning away from the world and turning to God, turning to Christ. Conversion is um, to when God changes your spiritual condition from lost to saved. It is a you completely turn to God. That's conversion. There is no halfway turning to Christ. It is all or nothing. No halfway turn. It is a decisive turning in your life. That is conversion. So the question for each and every one of us, and now we're going to bring it home. Have you been converted? I'm going to ask you again. Have you been converted? You can't enter the kingdom of God just as you are. You must be converted. Do you have the assurance of salvation? You say, how do I know if I'm really saved? Well, that's a different service sermon, and I have to come back on another day. But let me tell you what. I just have a question. What do you love? What do you love? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What are these new things? I think they're a new affection. A new affection for the Lord. A new affection for the Word. A new affection for the brethren. A new affection for worship. So love is the first evidence of salvation or of a converted heart. Secondly, humility. It's, it's the second evidence of a converted heart. You become aware of your sinfulness and you never truly get over this incredible, amazing grace that God has on you and for saving you. Thirdly, it's not perfect obedience, but you have a desire. You have a, a willingness, a longing in your heart to obey God because you confessed Him as Lord and you want to obey Him. It's not perfect obedience. But that's, that's the desire in your heart. So you are saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Our security is based on the sovereign will of the Father. Let's turn to John 6. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Chapter 6. Hang in there. We're almost there. John 6, 37. This is a wonderful verse. John 6, 37. It says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Stop right there. When it says all, that does not mean all the world. It means all of a certain group. Okay? So all of a certain group that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, and that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Amen. I should lose nothing. Jesus will not lose not one. Not one. Wow. The will of the Father is that every elect believer will be saved to the last day and possess eternal life and be raised up to glory on the last day. Can you say amen? amen. The security of our salvation rests in the absolute sovereignty of God the Father. Man, you could take that to the bank. Hallelujah. So, right before I end, I want to give you seven one-word descriptors of salvation of, or of conversion. First, repentance. Unless you are truly converted, you will perish in hell eternally. Conversion is necessary. It is non-negotiable. This is why every Christian parent prays for their children to be converted. Because if they don't repent, what will happen, Frank? They will perish. Mark said in, uh, Jesus said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe. And these are the heads and tail of the same coin. It is a turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ. Repentance is intertwined with true saving grace. That's why in Luke 13.3 says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And in Acts 17.30, God now commands men everywhere to repent. So repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. A change of mind that results in a change of life. So first is repentance. Second, undeserved. God converts unworthy sinners to inherit the kingdom of God. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve salvation. Only people who fall short of the glory of God can be converted. God doesn't save you because of anything you've done or because of who you are. God saves man because he is a savior. Thirdly, immediate. Conversion is an immediate act of God. Turning away from your sin and turning around to God. In Acts 2.40, uh, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were saved on the day of Pentecost. Immediately it happened. They were lost and became converted on that day, the day of Pentecost. In the, and this takes place in the twinkling of an eye, like that. Some people, I don't know how many people here, even remember the day where they were born. I mean, <laughs> okay, let me try that one more time. <laughs> Some people even remember the day they were saved. That's what I meant. Okay? Yeah, you got born again. People remember the date. I don't. I know it was somewhere in April when I went to that church and I, I, I heard the gospel and I got convicted. I don't remember the exact day, but I remember the day. Conversion is an immediate act. It's immediate. Fourthly, it's radical. Salvation is radical. Conversion is a radical turning of your entire life. Not just on Sunday morning. No, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Your whole entire life. Your work life, your personal life, your church life, your, your um, business life. Your whole entire life is radically changed. Everything. And I, when I think of radically changed, I think of the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus. His life was radically changed. It happened quick. It's, it's, it's radical. Fifthly, it's evident. It's so radically changed that it is ever evident to everybody that sees you. They see that change in your life. There, God is doing the work of sanctification in your life. And there is the fruit of repentance. So obviously people see it. There are no secret service Christians in God's church. You are saved and people are going to know you're saved because you, you're sharing your faith and you want others to see and to taste that God is good. So 
it's repentance, it's undeserved, it's immediate, it's radical. Fifthly, it's evident. Sixthly, it's permanent. Once converted, always converted. No one who is truly converted goes back to being unconverted. You never go back to the world. You will be tempted, I agree. Maybe even stumble and fall for a season because of the snares in this world. But you will never go back to the world. Remember this, a faith that fizzles, fizzles before the finish had a flaw in the first place. A, a faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw in the first place. Looking to turn to Hebrews. Oh, just just uh, turn to Romans. Turn to Romans one sixteen. I'm going to read Hebrews, and it says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith." As a perfecter, Jesus has brought the faith of all who turn to God through Him to a perfect completion to it to its intended goal. It's going to happen. It's it's. Perfect, because we're looking unto Jesus, the author, and, f- and some versions say, finisher of our faith. Now turn to Romans 1.16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here comes a knockout punch. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? From faith for faith. I'll tell you what it means. It means the faith that Jesus starts is the faith that he will finish. You can underline. You should, you should underline that, highlight it, put it in capital letters, write in your Bible. This is the faith that he started is the faith that he's going to finish. And it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith. The righteous man, that is justification, shall live by faith. That's sanctification. So the faith, or when it says from faith, is that when it, you first started, when you first got converted, to the finish for faith is the faith that he's going to finish. You will walk by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And this is one of the reasons Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's going to be finished. It's going to be completed. Nobody that is a believer is going to become an unbeliever. It, you, it won't happen. Once converted, always converted. And, and lastly, seventh, decisive. Conversion is all or nothing. There is no halfway turning. It's not a 90% turn. It's a complete 180. You either turn or you don't turn. And churches are filled with counterfeit, unsaved people who don't possess True saving faith. In ending, I have uh, some books here. Um, and if you have never read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, I encourage you to do so. If you don't have it, please pick one up. Okay? I, I, I bought them because uh, next to the Bible, this is the second best-selling book. Um, and I want to share with you a conversation that happens between a character named Faithful and Talkative about being truly converted. Talkative thinks he's a Christian because he talks about the Christian faith. And therefore, he's a Christian. That makes him a Christian. And Faithful tells Talkative, no, no, no. It's more than just talking about it. You have to walk the walk. And he says, the great, this is faithful, talking on page 83. He says, the grace of God in a person's heart brings a conviction of sin, especially the sin of unbelief, and reveals the defilement of one's nature, for which one feels sure he will be eternally condemned unless he finds the mercy of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This conviction and outlook works in him a deep sorrow and shame for sin. Then, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, is revealed to him the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for sin, and the necessity of accepting him as, at once as the only way of salvation. This creates in him a hunger and thirst for righteousness, which leads him to repent and believe on Christ for forgiveness and salvation. So, you can read this, and it's about uh, Christian's journey through his uh, Christian life. It's a great uh, analogy of the Christian life.
and everything he goes through. And I like the, the way he uses names to describe, you know, this, the uh, lake of despondency and, and all that. I hadn't read it in 40 years, and it was a wonderful thing to do again. And I did that, and it just points out about false conversion. So faithful points out the talkative that people only come to understand spiritual topics through supernatural means. It's only by the Holy Spirit. Just talking about spiritual topics doesn't mean a person possesses eternal life. Talkative's religious talk was superficial. His lifestyle contradicted his words. Talkative believes that knowledge alone of the gospel is enough. You can possess knowledge, but not possess eternal life. There's a verse in the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 7. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. My sister's a good example of that. She knows a lot about the Bible, but she's not converted. And I went to a Bible college, and there were a bunch of students there studying the Bible, but some of those students were not converted. Many of us in this room have children who have been raised in the church, and they have a knowledge of the Bible, but they are not converted. Talkative is a figure intended to warn the reader and the believer about counterfeit professions of faith. But I also think when John Bunyan wrote that book, he was talking about the importance of Christian friendship, the friendship between hopeful and Christian. Today we think of friendship as a means of accountability, you know, to help us in our, in our walk. But in Bunyan's day, back in the 1600s, friendship was a treasure, somebody who knew you, somebody who you know and respect, somebody you can open up your heart to, somebody you can tell your darkest secrets when you do something wrong. And that brother who loves you is going to tell you, what you need to do to get right. Not everybody, you know, is trying to, to uh, uh, help you. Some people want to lord it over you. I don't know if you know this, but John Bunyan wrote this allegorical story was when he was in prison for 10 years. Alone in prison, he misses his family. He misses close brothers in the Lord and, and good friendships. So he introduces that friendship into the story. And during difficult times... Christian brothers can be vulnerable to temptation and doubt. So it's wonderful to have a Christian brother to help you as a close support and confide in. Somebody that encourages you not to give up, that God is with us to the end. Let us pray. If you are not converted, you need to humble yourself before the Lord Jesus. God calls you to repent and believe. That means to turn away from sin and turn to God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you don't know Christ, just cry out to God in your heart right where you are. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you are sincere, God will take away the sin that's in your heart. Lord, I thank you for doing for us what we could not do ourselves. Thank you for the grace that draws us and enables us to persevere to the end. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. 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 I'm sorry I went over a little. I loved it.